This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria interviews Mary Jane Rogers. Recognized as an industry innovator and pioneer, exercise physiologist Mary Jane Rogers is a 40-plus year veteran of the health and wellness industry. Dr. Rogers is a leading programmer, presenter, writer, and recipient of several industry accolades, including the international IHRSA slash CYBX Fitness Director of the Year Award and the IHRSA slash Kaiser 50 Plus Award for Excellence in Mature Adult Programming. As a wellness authority, Dr. Mary Jane provides expert commentary for radio, television, and publications such as Shape and Self magazines and the Wall Street Journal. Dr. Rogers brings multidimensional health and wellness experiences to a variety of educational settings with a welcoming and genuine teaching style. As an educator, Dr. Rogers is known for her ability to break down complicated information in order to provide a memorable learning experience. Mary Jane is a faculty member of the American Council on Exercise, ACE, participates on the ACE Exam Development Committee has served as a reviewer for the ACE Certified Advanced Health and Fitness Specialist Manual and serves as an ACE Media Spokesperson. She is a certified health coach, personal trainer, medical exercise specialist, and master Pilates teacher. Mary Jane Rogers is an exercise physiologist specializing in whole person wellness and fitness education and instruction. As an educator, Mary Jane brings multidimensional wellness and fitness experiences, along with a welcoming and genuine teaching style, to inspire students and wellness enthusiasts of all ages. Dr. Rogers is the owner of Profound Wellness LLC. Meet Mary Jane at drmaryjane.com. Here is the interview with Mary Jane Rogers. In your own words, who is Mary Jane Rogers? Wow, that is an interesting question. No one has ever asked me that before. In my own words, I would say I am a another person in the world who is trying to make a difference. <laughs> and because my passion happens to be health and wellness, I derive my joy from helping other people. Uh, make a meaningful difference in their lives. Before we talk about some of the topics in your book, from overwhelmed to inspired, your personal guide to health and well-being, I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned off-record. The first one for you had to be this one. What is to be a healthy person, in your opinion? The thing about being a healthy person, it is the very question is a person. Each mm. of us are individuals. Okay. So what feels like healthy to me may not feel that way to you. So I think we're what we want to do as individuals is discover those things, those di different variables in our lives that when combined create the sense of complete well-being or wellness in our lives. Now that could go, I like to think of that as being, I think we can all agree that when we feel vibrant and buoyant and vivacious, that, that that's a sign of health. And so I, 
maybe those things in our lives, whether it's the type of food we eat, the type of mindfulness practices that we participate in, the type of you know mindful movement activity we do, all of those things contribute to that um, buoyant outcome. If they're just a little bit different for each person because we all have unique needs and abilities. I love that answer because that really connects to something that I believe in. It's nature and everything's nature is different. Right. So another word that is very interesting to me, I mean, it just makes me smile. Inspired, inspiration, makes me think about intuition. So what is to feel inspired? What does it feel like? I think that when we feel inspired, we sense an inner spark with the motivation to do something, whether it is that can, you know, vary from, you know, lifestyle type activities, or it can be to the point you made and a divine inspiration, that inner spark that leads us to want to lead a more meaningful life. Do you connect purpose to passion? You know, that's a really good question because I feel that if we say that something, for example, is our life's purpose, and yet we don't have passion about that. Mm -hmm. That sounds dreary to me. So I'd like to believe that that we're passionate about what we find our purpose is. So I think they're definitely, they may, maybe they're not identical, but maybe they're connected. They need to be connected in order to be gratifying. What do you think is the purpose of the human experience, the purpose of life? Oh, you know, that's so interesting because I think we all think about that at some point in our lives. And I tend to think about it quite a lot. And I feel like my belief is, is that we are here to grow (laughs) Mm -hmm. and to grow and learn and kind of evolve to a better understanding of the universe and of how nature interacts with one another. Somehow it connects understanding to love because it is through understanding that we can love something. Exactly. That's right. Uh-huh. And offer compassion and empathy and mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, make better choices. That being the purpose of life in a way, the understanding, the deeper understanding of life itself it might bring us to love life the way it is, accept all the differences and the dark and the light. There's a difference, I think, between accepting it Mm. Uh, you know, uh, understanding what is and and accepting those things and then also making a decision about how one is going to live their lives based on that understanding. Any choice I make, it has to have like this feeling of peace that it's okay, right, to be doing what I'm doing. Yeah, mm. because our body, our however you want to describe it, the, our beings yeah. are all that we um, interact in the world with, our body, for example, our intellect and our emotions don't like it when we're not in tune mm. with our spiritual selves. Right. So when we do things that are not in alignment with what our spirit would say is, the, is right for us, then, then things start talking to us. We get aches and pains in our bodies and, you know, and our minds are ruminating and our emotions are going crazy. But if we can align all of those things, then we can come to a place of acceptance and inner calm and inner peace. What is the meaning of death to you? It's really interesting because, you know, again, just like life, we all have, that's one of those topics that, you know, we all wonder about but never talk about. Yeah, yeah. And so for me, and I recognize this is my personal opinion, I see death as a transition and I see death as a transition from one level of consciousness to another level of consciousness. 
So entering into hopefully, you know, a, a higher level of consciousness through that transition. Oh wow. Almost a new beginning. Even though it seems mm. on one realm like an end to one thing, it's a new beginning to something, you know, unknown at this point. Do you speak from a place of knowing? Or oh, this is a belief system. <laughs> it's a belief. It's my belief. Yeah. You know, and it's I think the older we get, the more we think about these things. True. <laughs> so true. <laughs> the closer we are, the more we dwell on it a little bit. But mm. you know, you you have to think about it because as, as particularly mm. as we get older and mm. even now in the time of COVID, mm. you know, when we know loved ones and friends that, you know, have quote, transitioned or passed, yeah. it, you, it, it begs the question of, of contemplating what, you know, what is their experience and, you know, what will my, what is my belief system and what will make my transition easier? What do you love most about being a woman? I love being able to bear children. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I think that that's, a gift, even though it's, it's a burden too, don't get me wrong. But, uh, you know, it's really a, almost like a divine assignment yeah. from the universe yeah. to continue, to, that we, we're okay to continue our race. And we, every time we can, we bring a new soul forward, we have an opportunity to, you know, light bring more light into the world. I think men miss out on so much because they're unable to actually physically have that experience of um, gestation, being pregnant and birthing. And I think that that's a, a really remarkable gift that women have. Don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that every woman should have baby. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that's the case, but I'm saying that, that the fact that women have the ability to do that is a, is a real gift to humanity. Yeah, I agree. Although I'm not a mother and I don't think I will be in this lifetime, <laughs> but yeah, yeah it, very much. Yeah. I don't think either of my children are going to have babies either, which is interesting. But and had I, as a young person, it, that wasn't really my choice. But as I experienced going through life and and looking at the importance of how we raise our children, I just think it's a special gift that women can can offer the world. What is the most challenging aspect about being a woman, from your perspective? That's a very multi-dimensional question. Mm -hmm. There's so much involved there, and uh, especially with you know what we're what we're dealing with right now in this country with the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who brought yeah. so much to women in uh, our, my lifetime. And so I feel like the biggest challenge for me, I can only speak for me, has been to be taken seriously and make my voice heard in a world that is, you know, more guided by men. It has been a challenge, yeah, for all of us. Do you think this is changing at this time? I would like to believe that it is. I think that um, I, compared to when I was a child and certainly when my mother was growing up, it has changed. I just feel like we may be another generation out before yeah. <laughs> before we see real, you know, true equality uh, among the genders. What is freedom to you? What is to be free? I find for myself that being free has to a lot to do with not being tethered by negative patterns. Yeah. You know, yeah. we are oftentimes held back and held down by our own negative patterns that we've adapted either from the way we were raised or childhood or relationships. And those negative patterns lead to negative chatter and that ties us down. And if we were able to get through our day without and actually be in the present and have gratitude right. in the moment, 
without all of that negative chatter, I think to me, that's a true experience of freedom. At this time, with everything that's happening, has been happening this year, what do you think is the world's greatest need? Love. (laughs) (laughs) I think my heart often feels so heavy because I just feel like, you know, if we could come to a place where we could accept and and not just, you know, the idea of tolerance or acceptance, that's just not adequate. I mean, we really do have Mm -hmm. to see one another for who we are and love one another for who we are so that we have the ability to be empathetic and compassionate and have a kinder, you know, more tender humanity. Wow. I usually ask what love is to everyone. (laughs) (laughs) But in a way, you already answered that question, this way of living life that's kinder, right? Yeah, I think that we want to, I mean, if my aspiration, (laughs) you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not very successful often, but is to be able to see that divine light in, Mm. even if I don't see it, but to know it's there in every person and then to try to act toward that person through that divine light, recognizing that divine light. What, where, and who is God to you, if you believe in this idea of the word God? Mm-hmm. I, I think that that's an interesting question because I've been looking at this for about 40 years yeah, yeah. <laughs> and evolving. Actually, my whole life, <laughs> you know, it's been, a, it's been an interesting question, you know, from the time I was a little girl and, and going to church with my family. But I believe. And, you know, I think we, you know, we, there are every, different cultures have different names for God, different ways to explain what we would call God. For me, I absolutely believe in an, a universal energy that of, you know, that is, is love and is, um, that represents goodness and truth with a capital T. And I feel like as human beings, we have, we make a choice every day in terms of, are we connecting to that uh, loving energy or that divine energy um, in our daily lives? And I think that, that that's, that recognizing that that energy is in all things and all creatures, all beings, all creatures on the planet we inhabit. And that if we could have the same respect and awe that we would put for the, you know, the God that people see as an old man with a beard in the sky. If we had that Mm -hmm. same reverence to one another, to the planet, to nature, right? Then, then we basically create heaven here and, and participate in that. Now, what do you think are the obstacles to that for most of us? I find that people that all of us are become so bogged down or cluttered with things to do. I have Mm. to do this, I have to get my kids ready for school, I have to go to work, I've got to make dinner, I've got to pay the bills, and it's all in the doing. And as we layer all that busyness on top of one another, we lose sight of the space in between, mm-hmm. you know, for, for calm and for compassion and for experiencing life with, you know, from a loving place. And I think if we can recognize how to be that rather than do, you know, we can be a kind person who does a job. Or we can be a loving parent who helps our children do better in school or behave well. Or, you know, and and I think if we could just try to come from a place of being in this, you know, in reference to your question, in being godlike, then our beingness can free us from the doingness. <laughs> this is an interesting way of putting this whole idea coming from the being and then doing it's okay, but it's the 
kind, you said divine like being doing something, it would be so much different having this balance. Yeah, like a flower blooms because it's being a flower. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> it's not right. it's not doing blooming, right? <laughs> true. <laughs> so true. Yeah, it's just being itself and well, let it life unfold. Right. What an interesting idea. How did you become a writer, Mary Jane? I have been um, writing has something that has intrigued me since I was a little girl. And back to the doing, you know, <laughs> I um, the, the world expected me to go to school and raise a family and get a job and a career. And so I I didn't really get to write. I was I was busy doing all of those things that, that, that society expects one to do. One of the things that I thought that I would, that, as I mentioned earlier, that inspires me is helping other people to find ways to, to be healthy and well and have, you know, well-being. I, you know, and I had thought about doing what you're doing, actually, (laughs) with with regard to, you know, a health, a a mind-body type um, podcast or radio. And someone had suggested to me, well, you you should probably write a book before you launch into that. (laughs) Um. So, so I thought, well, I guess I've always wanted to do it. So I will give it a shot. And you did. It's amazing. Yeah. I recommend anyone <laughs> to host the podcast. Because, oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah that's thank meaningful. You. Absolutely. It's amazing to listen to natural wisdom and deep wisdom. I have learned so much and continue to learn. It doesn't stop when we think we know. Well, yeah, you have to revise that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Not really. Yeah, we never stop learning. What was the inspiration and the intention of writing your book from overwhelmed to inspired? Well, in my career, I have dealt with so many people who are struggling with trying to have a healthier lifestyle, trying to feel better, trying to make changes in their lives that that um, give them the confidence and to pursue a lifetime of well-being. It's one of the hardest things that we deal with in our lives. And most people are not successful with it. And to be honest with you, what really led me to this is that I have been working with parents and children for for 30 years about how important this is to help children understand this when they're young. So they're, they're not caught in trying to fix it when they get older. And that's what really has been my, the windmill that I've been tilting at for my whole career. And with this book, the idea was to um, kind of get to an adult audience and get the basic building blocks out there to the adults. And then eventually what I had wanted to do was then take that information and bring it down to the capacity for a preschooler, for example, so that parents could read this to children and both the parent, but the whole family would benefit. And so my my hopes were to um, be able to do a a series of children's books that that talk about these things like self-esteem and um, self-respect and respecting others and the miracle of the human body and, you know, all of those things. (laughs) Yeah, what a great idea. I love this idea also, the vision of starting with children. Why did you choose to become an exercise physiologist? Well, I... uh, I had wanted to be in psychology, actually, was where I was back in the day. And I had found myself engaged at a very young age. And the the young man's father had said, well, you know, if you're going to, this is, shows you how much t- things have changed over the yeah. years. <laughs> he said, you know, if you're going to be a wife and you're going to, and you want to work, you should be a teacher because that's a great occupation for women and mothers. And I thought, well, okay. And he said, well, so you should just do physical education. 
So I did. I switched to physical education and I realized early on that I was not cut out to be a PE teacher. Not that, I mean, I wish, I I love PE teachers. I think they're important to our children's health. It's just not what I'm good at. So so it's the other part. It's the other part of teaching of, you know, kind of the understanding, the intellectual part that drew me. And at that point, that was a new um, kind of degree plan. So I, I launched, uh, I launched into that and I eventually ended up um, doing the exercise, the doctoral degree in exercise physiology. You talk in your book, the title and the overwhelm, that word, that makes me think about burnout. That's another term I hear a lot. Is that connected? I think it can be. I think, I think that certainly burnout um, leads to, uh, in the context of my writing, um, in terms of health and wellness, I think being burned out leads to just kind of giving up on, uh, you know, I tried everything and now I'm just giving up. And in the same way, the overwhelmed, it's like you get so much information every day. If you go to the grocery store and look at all the magazines, there's a different, there's 10 articles in every magazine about what's the best exercise for your glutes or what, what's the latest diet or how to do keto or how to do, you know, whatever. (laughs) And, and so for somebody who's thinking they want to make a change, that's overwhelming. How do you know what you're supposed to do? Everyone's, and then you think you, you found the latest thing and six months or a year later, that's out. That Mm -hmm. turns out to be the wrong thing. And now there's something new to try. And, you know, at what point, you know, you just give up because it's too much. Another word that we hear a lot in stress, that's something that might be the cause of everything, overwhelm and burnout. But is there a healthy stress? Is there such a thing? Absolutely. Mm. You know, in the world of, in my world, (laughs) (laughs) and psychology, there's two terms. One is distress and the other is eustress. So distress, we know that word. That's about all of the things that, that, tend to affect our health. And there were studies that were done in the 90s and that showed that over 90% of all illnesses are caused by stress. Now, think about that. That that includes the common cold. I mean, that includes cold, cancer, heart disease. So it's interesting that if we could think about that, you know, managing that distress to improve our health, and then the other term, use stress, talks about good stress. So, for example, mindful movement, appropriate exercise is a form of use stress that is beneficial to your health. It definitely stresses your system, but in the long run, it's a benefit rather than, a, a, rather than being harmful. That's interesting because I love exercising and I do feel like the body is stressed mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> throughout the... <laughs> Definitely. But it's a yeah. good stress, you're saying, it's in the long term, it's good for us. Well, I think the caveat is to, to make sure it's mindful movement mm-hmm. because, you know, some of us uh, just get into it and mm-hmm. um, overdo it and then it becomes negative stress. So, so we all have to find that, that type of movement that's, it's like Goldilocks, you know, it's the movement that's just right for you. I like your book. You have different sections and I love that you have the mind, the body and the spirit. The mind section, you have wellness essential one, wellness essential two, and then three. Talk to me about wellness essential one, the three selves. The three selves, the reason I set the book up the way I did, that's mind, body, spirit, is that when people, most people that I've worked with through my career, when they decide they want to make a lifestyle change, they go right into diet and exercise. Yeah. But the thing is, it, it doesn't work. I mean, no mm-hmm. anyone who's ever spent their life trying to lose weight or whatever know that, that there's more to it than that. And unless we have our, our minds in the right place 
to take on this challenge, we're, we're sort of setting ourselves up to fail. But if we can get our heads in the right place to begin with, if we can build on the, the three selves, for example, self-esteem, self-respect, and self-efficacy, that's, that's sort of the foundation of being able to succeed. Because self, self-esteem, if I hold myself in poor self-esteem, I'm likely to make poor cho- choices for myself because I don't think I deserve a better choice. And self-efficacy relates to how well I believe I can be successful. Do I believe in myself that I can do this, even though it's challenging? And then, of course, self-respect, the same thing. If I don't respect myself, I'm not going to make healthier, healthy choices for myself. That's, that's when you, know, you see people you know, with, with alcohol or cigarettes or drugs that... Um, you know that that does not re, that's not respectful to your human body. Would you say that all the self-esteem, self-respect, self-efficacy—they are all connected to self-love? Yes, absolutely. They're they're different ways that we can love ourselves, and that you know that self-acceptance. I think so many of us weren't don't have that for whatever reason. I, there's so many reasons that we could consider, um, like the media, for example, <laughs> that we see. Um, then so we don't, we judge ourselves against, you know, a standard that's not even real. And so we don't have self-love. We, we tend to be the opposite. We tear ourselves down. How do we come to the point of just admiring somebody without comparing ourselves with them? <laughs> That's a, a, in a way, it's kind of athletes are a, a good example because I guess it depends on the athlete. But for example, I really admire basketball players, but I'm 5'3. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm never going to be a basketball player. And I, I can accept that, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But I feel like when we get to a situation where we look at magazine models, movie stars, actors, um, that those people where they're put in front of us in, in various, you know, media that, and we, and they're, we're led to believe, well, this is what beautiful is, or this is what handsome is. And that's not even real. They're Photoshopped on those pictures anyway. (laughs) So it leads us to judge ourselves against a false standard. And we're never get the those people on the covers don't meet their that that standard. We're certainly not going to do that. Yeah. So it's hard to just admire. Wow, that that's a beautiful image I'm seeing. I don't need to starve myself or work myself out to a pulp to look like that because I know it's not real. I like that. And even the idea of just admiring or acknowledging somebody's physical beauty without attachment. <laughs> well, yeah. And you know, what that just made me think of something. You know, there's something my husband and I, will, we might be out and I might be admiring something at a store, for example, not a person, but let's say I'm admiring something at a store. And, and for him, it's like, well, you know, should we buy it or should we not buy it? And I can say, I'm happy to say, I don't want it. I'm just admiring it. I like it. It's beautiful. That doesn't mean I have to have it in my home. Mm-hmm. And if we could apply that to these, you know, images of other people, then um, that might be a, a healthy way to look at it. Wellness essential to you speak of compassion so my question is, how do we practice compassion? Well, I think the thing, it, it, particularly in my book, we have to learn compassion for ourselves in order to have compassion for other people. And, you know, and Kristen Neff has done a, a research and written books on self-compassion, and she um, really goes into that in, in detail. But I think that if we can allow ourselves to be gentle with ourselves, that, that we can, it's interesting because 
we it's hard enough for us to be able to say, I know I made a mistake. All people make mistakes. It was easily done. I'm not going to beat myself up about it. I understand it and I'll do better next time. We don't usually do that. <laughs> we usually <laughs> beat ourselves up about, oh, I, you know, a lot, oftentimes I, I will go back and go, you know, 30 years ago, I did such and such and I still feel badly about it. You know, I can't quite heal that that wound of that mistake in, in my heart. So if we could start learning to do that and teaching our children to do that, it would allow us to make more compassionate choices for ourselves. And what happens in my um, industry is, um, and I don't know if you have experienced this or know someone who has, but you know, you're trying to lose weight. And so you, you, get on a program for exercise and, and eating differently, but then you go out to dinner with friends and there's alcohol and a lot of food and food you, it's not on your meal plan and you mm-hmm. overdo it. Mm-hmm. And then you come back and you just, the person, you beat yourself up. And like, you know, I'm so, so stupid. I'm so bad. Mm-hmm. I'm so mm-hmm. bad. I can never get it right. I, you know, I try and try and it's, it's useless. I'm just no good. And then we go into this whole negative compassion cycle. But if we can learn to be like, you know, it's one day I made a mistake. I'll do better tomorrow. I, I'm learning from this experience. Then we not only heal ourselves, but that allows us to offer, to ha- be generous with compassion to other people. So then when someone else, let's say your spouse or partner, makes a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Which would definitely happen. <laughs> Knowing we life. Can say, you know, that happens. I've done that before. It's just a mistake. We'll get through it. We'll get mm-hmm. over it. Right. You know, it allows a little bit more um, allowing that compassion for yourself and others allows for a more peaceful existence and certainly a more peaceful relationship. The wellness essential three, you speak of mindful awareness. So what is mindful awareness and how do we practice it? Well, it's very similar to John Kabat-Zinn. It's it's essentially the same thing. I identify it in my book as to keenly observe at all times what is happening with your environment, your thoughts and actions, as well as the feelings and actions of those around you without making judgment. So the idea is to be in the present moment, being aware of what's going on, but not judging what's going on. It involves, you know, just being... um, being open to the possibility of life and being present with it and being able to to make choices in the moment that are proactive rather than reactive if that makes sense so so you can see what's happening because you're not busy reacting getting angry or or you know freaking out about something, you can see it, you can be aware of it, and then you can make a choice about how to act or, or what you're going to do in that moment. You talk about oxygen and how to add more oxygen to our daily lives. So that was interesting. I don't want to give away everything. <laughs> and then the water section too, and how important pure water is. You call it even medicine is the world's first foremost medicine. Yeah. Yeah. And also how important it is, the benefits of keeping the body hydrated. Then you also said something that I never heard about, types of anti-water. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's another interesting (laughs) topic. Yeah. The idea is is that, um, oh, you know, you could package just like, if you could just say package tap water because... You know, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting, you know, I know that there are issues with our tap water, but there are so many places in the world, even in our own country, where tap water is unsafe. But for those of us who have the opportunity to open up a faucet and get water out, 
that is a real miracle because our bodies are mostly water and all of our bodily functions need water to work prop to, to work smoothly. <laughs> so um, if if we're not providing our body with that hydration that it needs, um, then all of the um, various reactions in our body are, are stalled. And that really contributes to health, to health or disease, hydration to health, lack of hydration contributing to disease. And it contributes to the aging process. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, you know, for those people who are interested in, in you know, anti-aging, water is one of the best things for you. I love the idea of the health benefits better, the way it makes us feel than the way we look. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But I mean, having that, I mean, if you think about it, just think about uh, like a, a dehydrated plant, mm-hmm. you know, and you can imagine if you have a house plant and you haven't watered it for two or three weeks, how it starts not living well. It, you, it, you, the sign of it, of it dying, you can see it from the outside. So, so in this case, for example, with what I, my husband, <laughs> I can look at him and say, you look thirsty. Mm. I can see by looking at you that you look like you need to drink some water. <laughs> right. Some watering, <laughs> like a plant, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Cute. Exactly. So yeah. maybe not in terms of like beauty, but in terms of uh, how you look at, on the outside, it is a reflection of how hydrated you are, how well you are on the inside. So nourishment, you have this also section about food. And the question I have for you is intuitive eating. Do you um, use this method, I guess, as a method? I believe that it is a valid method. I think where, where we stumble is that we haven't been taught to what intuitive eating is. <laughs> you know, as children, we, we are... We learn about food from the, our environment, from our culture of our families. And so if we're, if we're taught, for example, in my husband's generation, you know, you're taught that a meal isn't a meal unless you have, uh, you know, a big piece of meat and a serving of starch and something else, like something that looks like a vegetable. It <laughs> looks like it, right? <laughs> So, so, you know, he, he, he was not taught to eat. Um, uh, most of us haven't been taught to eat intuitively. But if, if we could teach children to do that, I think that would be a very healthy way to begin looking at how we nourish ourselves throughout our lives. What is the best way to keep our bodies um, healthy food-wise? Well, I think the number one thing is, is to try to avoid processed food um, because you don't know what's in it. True. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and uh, there are so many things that are in processed foods that they don't have to put on the label. And yet, you know, and, and, the, and I'll try to be brief with this explanation, but the way the, the approval process is for these things and getting food you know, um, processed food is that if it hasn't been deemed harmful in certain amounts, you don't have to put it on the label, which is fine. But if we're eating a diet that's comprised mostly of, um, of processed foods, then we're eating more and more and more of that more than what was deemed safe. Do you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Because we're, 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 compensating by it may not be that much in that one serving of that one thing but if that's all we're eating then we're filling our bodies up with chemicals that are that our bodies don't know what to do with so i think if i was going to pick one thing other than you know water (laughs) i would say Mm -hmm. i would say if you had to pick one thing cut back or eliminate processed foods um, that would be that would make a huge difference in how people just feel on a daily basis. Do you prefer a um, vegetarian diet? My my personal diet is I had gone I had become vegetarian 
Wow. I had started cutting back on animal protein almost 20 years ago. And then I had become a full vegetarian and I felt good with that. But then I suffered some health issues, some surgeries and things. And I, I wasn't recovering very well. So occasionally I will have a piece of grass-fed beef, for example, or a fish. You know, I will eat fish. But that what I I think what we all back to the intuitive eating point is that you have to be able to identify how you're feeling with with your food choices. Mm. And if you're finding that that you're missing something, then you need to be able to have a way to identify what's what's missing that could make you could help you feel better. And for me, I wasn't getting enough protein, I don't think. but having that, just that extra, you know, one one or serving a week of fish or something like that made a big difference for me. I really agree with you with this idea of listening to the body and the way we feel rather than going with um, ideas. Again, how other people want you to be or because you're spiritually evolved, then you're not supposed to eat meat <laughs> in all these ideas. So... Yeah, I like what you said now about listening to the body. And I, I do, I respect people who make the choice to become vegan. I respect that choice. And the same with vegetarianism. I find as someone who understands, you know, the science of the food, it just requires a lot of effort to make sure you're getting all of your nutrients in, which is fine. Yeah, right, <laughs> but a right. lot of times people will jump into a vegetarian diet and not eat anything but, you know, potatoes right. or bread or, sure. you know, stuff like that. And so sure. they're they're not getting they're not getting the nutrition that they need. So you say connecting with your inner self. So for a moment, Mary Jane, talk to me about the inner self. Well, we spoke a little bit ago about God, about the idea of God. And we are all manifestations of God. And so we are spirit incarnate. We are spirit. We somehow have abdicated that to to being outside of ourselves. But I think we need to recognize our own divine nature and the wisdom of that divine nature and look to that um, wisdom in terms of how we interact with the world. So I have a few more questions. I call them final questions. Before that, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Let me give you my, the, the definition in my book that I use for wellness, because I think that that is a, a really confusing thing. And I love this definition. Yeah. It's not mine. It's, an, it's I don't know who the author is. It's anonymous. But this author says wellness It's the best in each of us, a natural mix of elements that makes us unique. Wellness is a conscious commitment to growth and improvement in all areas. Only then does the larger picture emerge. And I think that speaks to our own, you know, everything we've talked about so far. We've talked about our own individuality. What is it that makes us unique? What makes us bloom as individual flowers? And then how our blossoms contribute to the landscape. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think that every day, I think what I've learned from people around me, and for example, I have a a neighbor with brain cancer, um, but the idea of knowing that today can be your last day gives you the perspective of not becoming attached or upset or angry over small things that that are are not it not really important and to bring allow you to bring joy and love into every moment um, in whatever it is you're doing whether you're raising children or um, having a career or or um, a relationship is about you know a, coming from that mindful awareness place that we talked about earlier of 
great uh, gratitude and graciousness for the life we're living and the people around us. Would you make any change? Do you feel that you would change or do anything differently? You know, every day I try to do what I just described. (laughs) So I, I do, I really am on a journey of trying, you know, making the effort to be more mindful and and live in the moment like my neighbor to have my neighbor is an example to me of how to how to be present in the in the in the moment and so i'm i would i wouldn't change that i would hope that i would be better at it <laughs> <laughs> right do more of what you're already doing right right like right that. exactly yeah that's a great answer too what are three things about life you know for sure as of now well i know for sure that i am here <laughs> in this moment mm-hmm. <laughs> and i know for sure that love is the driving force of the universe and i know for sure that love is the answer to our problems. It has been a fun, spiritually fun conversation. I usually use that word, but in the sense of um, appreciation for your wisdom and your presence. Thank you so much, Mary Jane. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Mm-hmm. Well, my website is drmaryjane.com, and that's tricky because it's spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R-M-A-R-Y-J-A-Y-N-E.com. I think that was bad advice to go with that. But anyway, that's my website. <laughs> and I have, you know, if, if, if this type of topic is, is interesting, I blog on this topic and there's everything there from aging to sugar to water, fat, exercise, everything's in there. Um, And in terms of the book, you can find my book on Amazon. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Mary Jane Rogers and her work, please visit drmaryjane.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.